Thank you so much, worship team, and good morning. Wonderful to see you all. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, uh, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, this morning, as we continue looking at the life of Jesus as it unfolds for us in the Gospel of Luke. And if you'll remember, just from last week, as we sort of got beginning, Jesus is just beginning uh, his time of public ministry. Uh, he's gone to the Jordan River to be baptized, and then he's led into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. And then we're told from there, he, on his way back uh, to his hometown, uh, he began teaching in various synagogues along the way. And it really got people kind of talking about who this Jesus guy is. Uh, Luke uh, 4, verse 14, actually says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then Jesus, even after that, held what I would sort of call like a little mini press conference in his hometown synagogue. It's where he goes there, and he gets up, and he reads from the book of Isaiah, the words that Luke records for us in Luke 4, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Of course, after that, Natasha says, after that he says some things and they try to throw him off a cliff, but... You need to know that was Jesus letting everybody know the reason that he came. That moment in the synagogue there was Jesus saying, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. He's saying, this is what my ministry is going to look like. This is the work that has been given to me by my Father in heaven that I am going to accomplish. I actually remember a sermon by Ralph Corner years ago when he basically said, those words were Jesus' mission statement for his ministry on earth. And from that moment on, Jesus' life would, on earth would be dedicated to fulfilling that vision. He would bring good news to the poor. He would bring freedom to the captive and sight to the blind and healing for the hurting and the favor of God to sinners. And it could all really be thought of sort of as a glimpse. It's a, it's a way, you know, a small sample for people to see what the kingdom of God actually looks like when it's lived out here on earth. Because something that I think is important for us to remember is that Jesus didn't just come to die. He also came to live. He came to serve. He came to actually, as he lived his life, to show us what abundant life with the Father actually looks like. So Jesus gets to work. And that's where our passage picks up. But there's only one problem. Because up to this point, Jesus was doing it all alone. The problem really was that Jesus didn't yet have anyone else who shared that mission of his. There was no one else, even in all of the crowds that had flocked to Jesus to hear what he had to say, there's no one else who yet shared his purpose. So the time had come for Jesus to call some followers. The time had come for Jesus to start making some disciples who would live this abundant life with him 
and who one day would pass it on to others as well. And that's what we see happening in our passage this morning. And if you'd like to follow along as I read, our passage is going to be Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Jesus calling his first disciples. Picking it up in verse 1, if you want to follow along, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put him out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that, Lord, you would be present in this place, right now, in this moment, that it would be a holy time as we open your word that, Lord, Christ would be lifted up, and in lifting him up, he would draw men to himself, draw our hearts to him, and that, Lord, the words that you have prepared this morning, that, Lord, they would find soil in our hearts that would reap fruit, that, Lord, that we would be called and hear and respond uh, to that call of Christ in our lives um, just to be with him. And Lord, I just pray that this would be a very powerful moment, that your Holy Spirit would be present in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, someone once said that we live in a world that is obsessed with qualifications. Um, you know, every time you want to buy a house, you got to qualify for a mortgage. You want a car, well, you go and qualify for a loan. You want to go to school, university, college, well, you have to qualify to go there by meeting whatever the entry requirements might be. If you want a job, that job is going to list the qualifications that you have to have, you know, experience needed, degree required, you know, education a must. It seems like pretty much everything we do in this world today requires some way you show that you're qualified. So someone once imagined what it would have been like if Jesus had hired a consulting firm to do some background checks on his disciples before he offered them the job. And maybe he would have got a letter something like this. Dear Mr. Christ, the ministry you've described to us is certainly a courageous one and we wish you much success. But we do have, have however, have some concerns over the personnel that you have selected to oversee this project. 
As a whole, they seem to lack both the skill and the education to take on a task of this magnitude. And certain individuals raise serious concerns. Simon Peter seems to have a problem controlling his anger, which could get him into some difficult situations. Matthew has shown up in our records as being under investigation for fraud, extortion, and embezzlement. James and John seem to be overly concerned about self-promotion, and Simon, who is called the zealot, seems to have ties to certain shady and rebellious individuals. It seems the only person we feel completely comfortable recommending to your organization is one Mr. Judas Iscariot. <laughs> He's from a good part of the country. He's good with money, and he demonstrates an ambition, a drive that the others seem to lack. And we're sure with these recommended changes, your ministry will have a long and prosperous future. Yours truly, first century consulting. So this morning, I want to ask you just the simple question. And that is, in a world that is obsessed with qualifications, what are the qualifications for being a follower of God? Because the people that Jesus seemed to choose to be his followers... I mean, they're a really interesting bunch. They weren't wealthy. They weren't well-educated. They weren't famous. They were ordinary people, and they had flaws. They made mistakes. They, they were people who failed. They, they weren't the best of the best. They weren't the cream of the crop. They were people, just like you and me. And I think that's because when it comes to Jesus calling people to be his followers, it's important that we understand that that call in and of itself is a call of grace. It's a gift of grace. That call, it's not about you earning it. It's not about you being worthy of it. It's not about you qualifying or being good enough to receive it. It's a calling that is a reflection of the grace of God. And that means that in a very real way, the only qualification a person needs to be a follower of Jesus is a heart that is willing to follow. And with that in mind, Jesus has his eye on a couple of brothers who showed some real potential in this area. And that leads us to our passage in, in Luke chapter 5. He writes, beginning in verse 1, that on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to be put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, keep in mind here that this is not the first meeting between Jesus and these men. Uh, the Gospel of John actually tells us that Simon, Simon is Peter, I'm going to get those two mixed up today, but they're the same guy. So Simon, John tells us that Simon's brother Andrew actually was a follower of John the Baptist when he called people out into the desert to repentance. But when John told the crowds, you know, about Jesus saying things like, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Andrew heard that and he began to follow Jesus. And when he begins to follow Jesus, he also goes to his brother Simon and says, Simon, you got to meet Jesus too. And Luke tells us very much the same thing. Just a few verses before ours in Luke chapter 4, that while Jesus was going out teaching and healing in Luke 4, verse 38, it says, he arose and left the synagogue. He entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. 
So these guys had already met Jesus. They'd heard him preach. They'd heard him teach. They'd seen Jesus heal. And Jesus had even been a guest in their own house. So that's a little context because when Jesus shows up one day and just asks to borrow their boat, they don't just say, take a hike, fella. We don't know who you are. No, they know Jesus and they're glad to help. So Jesus gets in their boat and, you know, there's a lot of people there. So he, he floats out a little ways and he uses the boat as a floating pulpit and he teaches these, these crowds of people who are gathered there to hear from Jesus. Then after he teaches them, we're told in Luke 5, verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toil all night and we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now for me, this is actually where the story gets interesting because Simon was a fisherman. I mean, he made his living casting nets into water and catching fish. And there's, there's one thing that a fisherman knows better to, how to do better than anyone else. It's how to fish. And Simon and the rest of the, the, of the fishermen there that day, they were already done fishing for the day. Because not only does verse 5 tell us that the fish just weren't biting that day. They were out all night. They didn't catch anything. The time for fishing was over. You see, fishing on that lake was done at night or maybe dawn or dusk when the fish were less likely to see the nets and the waters changed temperatures and they came to the surface. And fishing was also done in that lake near the shore, not in the deepest part of the lake where Jesus wants to take them. And remember too, something else I think is interesting is when Jesus shows up to borrow their boat, these these guys hadn't just finished their night's work. They were already told in verse two, they were already cleaning their nets. You see, they weren't just done fishing. They were almost done the stuff you do after fishing so you can go home. For them, it was long past. It was a long day. But now Jesus says, hey, guys, let's go fishing. And there's part of me that just sort of wondered if Simon rolled his eyes silently when Jesus said that. I mean, just think about what we already know. It's the completely wrong time to fish. Jesus wants to take him to the wrong spot on the lake And it's already been a slow day for fishing. And if they threw their nets back in the water now, they would have to go back afterwards and completely wash their nets all over again, which meant more work before they were able to go home. And think too of Simon's sort of reputation as a fisherman if he does this. I mean, as a man, Simon probably gets, you know, part of his self-esteem, self-identity from his job. But now he's like thinking about letting some carpenter tell him how to fish. Do you think his buddies are going to let him live that down? Especially if he comes back empty-handed. And Simon's pretty sure they're coming back empty-handed. I mean, you can imagine the jabs he's going to get when he's like, hey, isn't there a carpenter who could teach you that, Simon? Like, this is not an easy place for Simon to be. One pastor put it like this. He said, Simon looked at Jesus and thought he's a nice guy. He's a pretty good preacher. He helps out a lot of people. But when it comes to fishing, the boy doesn't know have enough sense to come in out of the rain. Like, that's a nice summary. And yet, with all of that at play, Simon makes a choice. And as much as it seems ridiculous to him, he says to Jesus, but at your word, I'll let down my nets. And look at the result in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. 
Can you imagine that scene? I mean, this was a catch of fish unlike anything they had ever seen before. Even after a lifetime of fishing, they'd probably never even heard of someone getting a catch like that. One cast fills not just one, but two boats to the place where they are overflowing and beginning to sink. That was a good day's fishing. And I mean, Simon, could he, he could have rowed back to shore with dollar signs in his eyes. I mean, he felt like he could have felt like he won the lottery. I mean, all he had to do was figure out, how do I get Jesus in my boat once a day? I could be a rich man. But that's not what happened. Look at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. So what's going on in Simon's mind at that moment? And I can't be completely sure, but a part of me thinks that up until that point in Simon's life, God was real, but he was always sort of someplace else. Do you know people who kind of live like that? You know, for Simon, God was someone that he met with when he went to the synagogue or when he went to worship at the temple of God. Those are the God places in my life. You know, Simon believed in God, but God was always sort of out there somewhere else where Simon knew where he could go visit him once in a while when he felt up to it. But that day on the lake, God showed up in Simon's boat. God entered into Simon's world. God showed up in Simon's life in a way that he had never before imagined that he could or that he would. And that was life-changing. One commentary says, religiously, Peter was like a guy who sits around all afternoon watching TV in his grungy shirt and filthy blue jeans. He doesn't expect anyone to come to his door, so he dresses any way he wants. But when God shows up and knocks, suddenly he realizes how filthy he is. Suddenly he realizes how indecent his clothes must seem. And Simon's humbled. And he's astonished and he's fearful. He's afraid of what it means that God would show up and what that's going to mean for his life. But mercifully, Jesus doesn't leave him hanging because right away, Jesus says, verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they, had brought, in, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. And to me, Jesus' offer here to Simon is, is it's an amazing one. But it's an interesting one. Because, you know, Jesus, he doesn't tell Simon very much about, of anything really, about what is in store for his life if he says yes to this call of Christ. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, Simon, you know what, if you follow me, uh, one day the world will know you as the Apostle Peter the rock and you know one day cathedrals and cities and kings will be named after you if you take this step and become my follower Jesus doesn't say follow me Simon and I promise you that you'll live the kind of life that history is never going to forget and Jesus could have said that but he doesn't in fact all really that Jesus really offers Peter when it comes to being his follower is offer Peter purpose Jesus says to Peter, Peter, follow me. 
and I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow, follow me, Peter, and I'll make you into the man that God wants you to be. I'll show you how to live the life that God is calling you to live. I will teach you how to make my mission and make it your own. Jesus, in calling Peter, he really just offers Peter a purpose. There's a commentary by John Phillips. As he writes, he says, Jesus saw Simon. And he says, everybody saw Simon. At least they heard him. Simon was always the center of a crowd. He was always where the action was. At sports, Simon had to be at bat first. At checkers, Simon had to win. Jesus saw Simon. But more than that, Jesus saw Peter. Just as Michelangelo saw David in a block of marble, so Jesus saw an apostle in that rugged fisherman. He saw Simon casting his fishing nets, but at the same time, he saw Peter and 3,000 souls being saved in a single sermon. He saw Peter and he saw the names being written down in glory. He saw Peter and he saw Gentiles being added to the church. He saw Peter and he saw a man carrying a cross out to execution, faithful to Christ, even to, unto death, even death on a cross. You see, never doubt that when Jesus calls you, he sees you not just for who you are right now, but he sees you for who you are to become in him. And Jesus is still calling people to himself today. He's still calling people out of the crowds to be one of the committed. Calling people to a new purpose and a new reason for living. He's calling people to come and spend time with him daily and have their lives transformed. Jesus is still calling people to become the people that God created him to be, them to be. And you know, I know I've said this to you before, but when it comes to the call of Christ, there, you will never find anything else that will impact your life more than that. You'll never find a reason more worthy of your time and your energy and your strength. You'll never find a purpose that will give your life more meaning than answering the call of Christ to be his follower. Because whether you know it or not, there's something truly incredible about the call of Christ. It's been said that at the call of Christ, men leave their possessions to follow. At the call of Christ, people face the executioner without fear. At the call of Christ, Peter and Andrew left their nets. Matthew left his table. James and John left their father. And why did they so willingly leave so much behind? It's because to be called by Christ is a call to be fulfilled. The call of Christ is a call to have life and have it in abundance. It's a life of purpose, a life of significance, a life that you know is going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And to be called and to follow Jesus truly is to know the greatest and best life God has in store for you. Because nothing you're trying to hold on to can compare with the riches you find in Christ when you surrender. And my encouragement to us all this morning is to be willing to step out in faith and have hearts that are ready to answer the call. Hearts ready to follow. And I actually heard a sermon years ago uh, on this passage, and it, it was called Baby Steps, right, where it talked about the process that Jesus actually uses to call people to himself. So I'm going to steal that idea this morning as we make our applications, this, uh, because I think it's a great image 
great idea to capture our imagination. So I want to share with you quickly this morning five baby steps in following Jesus and answering the call. And I think baby step one of following Jesus is simply when a person discovers within themselves a growing hunger in their life for more. Uh, some people have called it holy discontent. You know, holy discontent, it's a hunger. It's, it's a growing passion. It's a, it's a spiritual awakening in the heart of a man or a woman that says, you know what, there just has to be more to this life. And that's why God sent John the Baptist ahead of Jesus. We're told he was there to prepare the way. He was there to begin to stir up the hearts of the people. Because in Israel at that time, religion had kind of become a cold and sterile and, and dead thing. It was all ritual. It was no relationship. So John shows up. He gets the hearts of the people sensing their need for God once again. That's what I'm talking about here. And you know, even Peter in our passage, you see, you know, this is a guy, he's got a, he has a home. He's got a good family. He's got a good job. He runs a business. He has a good reputation. He's got close friends. He's a man that seemingly has everything this world could offer someone to make them fulfilled. And yet Peter knows something they're still missing. There's within him a desire for more, a desire for some kind of deeper spiritual fulfillment. It's a desire for deeper purpose. And in the end, it's a desire for, for God, which is why he began to follow Jesus in the first place as part of the crowd. And you know, there's countless people in our world today, people all around us. Maybe they're our friends or our neighbors or our coworkers or our family members who are all experiencing that same need. People who are hungry for more. They just don't know where to find it yet. But that's a hunger that the world just can't satisfy. And they're looking for more. But that leads to baby step number two. And baby step two is simply allowing that holy discontent, that hunger to lead a person to start seeking out Jesus. And finding out more about him. Learning about him. And again, we see that happening in the context of this passage. Both Andrew and Simon had been part of that crowds that began flocking to Jesus. And while in those crowds, Simon was listening. He was there listening when Jesus taught in the synagogues, when Jesus taught in the fields, even when he taught from their boat. And while Jesus was speaking, he was answering Simon's questions. Questions about God and about the kingdom and, and even about Jesus himself. And again, there are people in our lives who are at that exact same place. People who are hungry for more and they're interested in this person, Jesus. I want to know more. But at the same time, they're not, you know, they need to hear more before they're ready to sort of take that next step before for surrendering more to him. They need to know more about this truth of what Jesus is claiming. Because they're not yet ready to make a decision to follow him. They need to know answers to questions like, who is Jesus? Why did he come? What is his plan? Why did he die on a cross? Why was he really raised on the third day? I know there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's probably one of the best places a person can be as seeking answers about who Jesus is. 
And as a church, one of our biggest jobs that we are given should be helping those people find those answers about Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you want to know more about Jesus, if you have questions that you need answers to about the Bible or about God or about Jesus, you've come to the right place. As a church, we would love to help you find those answers you're looking for about Jesus. You can talk to myself, one of the pastors here. Uh, We would be honored to do that with you. Because for many people, that second step that they need to take is just to learn more about who Jesus is. But that leads to the third baby step we see in our passage, which is trusting Jesus with something small. Um, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, you know, you've got some answers about me. I've been to your house. You've heard me teach. You've watched my life. You saw me heal your mother-in-law. Now, Simon, would you mind if I borrow your boat? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like, you know, it's a small thing. But Simon was in that place where he was ready to make that decision. And there are some people here who also need to take that kind of step in their own life. You know, Jesus is asking them to trust them in their life, take a risk, even if it's with something small. You know, maybe it's just showing up on church, at a church on Sunday morning. Maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it's volunteering to serve somewhere. Maybe it's showing up for prayer night on Tuesdays. Maybe it's inviting someone to, you know, a church event. Bring a friend. But whatever it is, it may, it may seem like a little thing. Almost a thing you might even overlook is not being important. But God's tweaking you there. And the point is, you just do it. Because it's a start. And that's how we learn to start saying yes to all of those little promptings God starts putting on our hearts. And you know, when we begin to trust God in those little things, we begin to see God's faithfulness in our lives. We see that God can use even those small places where we surrender to him in powerful ways. And you know what? Once we've trusted Jesus with a couple of small things, we're ready for the next step, which is trusting God with something bigger. Something that's a little bit more of a risk. As Jesus says to Peter, Peter, it's time to go deeper and let down your nets. Jesus asked Peter to do something very specific and something that's far more risky than just borrowing his boat. Something that for Simon could be embarrassing or even humiliating if it goes wrong. Something that might even have made Peter a little bit afraid. And you know what? This morning, I think that God is asking some of you to take that same step. He's asking you for something that puts you in a place where you don't have control. Something that may even be embarrassing or painful if it goes wrong. Something you may be afraid to do. And I don't know what that is for you. But for those that God is speaking to this morning, I believe that you know. And I believe that God is even saying to some of you, even now in this moment, trust me in your life with something bigger. And maybe you can ask yourself, what decision have you been putting off because, you know, making because you're afraid? What's something in your life that you've maybe been avoiding for a while? What's an area of your life where you know you're a little bit afraid to let God into it because you're afraid of losing control? What are some of the things that you're wrestling with right now, whether it's emotionally or spiritually in your life? Maybe it has to do with your health or your job or your finances or your marriage or your kids or your grandkids. 
Maybe it's more than one of those things. But God is asking you this morning, trust him with it. And invite him into that whatever you're dealing with. He's asking you to take a risk, to go deeper, to let down your net so you can see what God can do when you've trusted whatever it is you've been holding back and give it to him. Which leads us to the final step we all need to take. And this isn't a baby step because this is the step, the last step we take is a step of total surrender. Which is really the most terrifying and scary decision we ever make. And yet, as we see in our passage, Jesus has carefully and lovingly brought Simon one step at a time to this place where he is ready to make this choice. He's ready to answer Jesus' call. He's seen enough. He knows enough. He's prepared. In fact, Peter was a man who was made ready to surrender his whole life to Christ one step at a time. So where does this sermon find you this morning? Because while Jesus found Peter at his net so long ago, more than that, Jesus found Peter at a place where he was ready to take that next step and follow Jesus. So how about you? Where are you in your life right now? Maybe you're at that place where you've, you've felt that need for God, that emptiness, that feeling that life should be about more. And you're just, you're wondering if Jesus is the one who can meet that need. Maybe you're needing to know more about who Jesus is and you need to have some of your questions answered. Maybe you're needing to learn to trust him in some small things in your life so you can see how God is going to be faithful. Or maybe you're in a place where God is asking for more, asking you to trust him with something bigger, something riskier, something closer to your heart. Or maybe you're like Peter, where Jesus has brought you to a place where you need to lay everything else aside. And start following him. I don't know where you are this morning on your journey of faith. But what I can encourage you is with, is, with is this. That when God invites you to take the next step. Whatever that step is. Just take it. Don't put it off. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't pretend you didn't hear you know, what God was saying to you. When God gives you your next step. Walk in it. That's the way we keep moving forward in faith. That's the way to go deeper. That's the way to become a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. And a truth I want to, again, hear all of us to hear this morning is that Jesus is still calling people to follow him today. He's still actively inviting people to be with him, to spend time with him, Jesus is still directing people one step at a time into a deeper relationship with him. He still wants every one of us to keep moving forward in, in faith one step at a time until we get to a place of total surrender. And that's what answering the call is all about. And it's the most important decision that any of us will ever make. Because, you know, it's, it was never Christ's intention that we live lives of mediocrity. We are to step out of the crowd and take our place at Jesus' side. Take our place as his disciple. And no matter what the risks, my prayer is that each and every one of us, when it comes to answering the call, that we might be willing to step out in faith. Because if you hear Jesus calling you closer this morning, let nothing in your life stand in the way of answering. 
Let nothing stop you from taking the next step until you've come to a place where you're ready to surrender your life and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, um, you know, this passage seems like such a simple story. Kind of a feel-good story of Peter figuring it out and becoming a follower of Jesus. And yet, Lord, when we really look at it, we realize this is all of our stories. Because, Lord, as you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. That, Lord, you call each and every one of us. Just like you called Peter that day on the beach, you call all of us to go deeper. You call all of us into a relationship with you. You call all of us to a life of purpose and meaning, a life that is the life abundant, experiencing the kingdom of God here on earth by your side. And Lord, our prayer this morning is this, that as that call goes out, that our hearts would truly respond. That, Lord, we would take baby steps, giant steps, all steps to get closer to you. Because, Lord, all of us are in different places. All of us are facing different challenges and struggles. But, Lord, all of us can take the next step, whatever that step might be. And I pray that we would not be distracted or discouraged or in denial or delayed. But, Lord, I pray that forgetting what is behind, we'd press on towards the goal to be your followers so that we would follow you and lay everything else aside to a place of complete surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.